their place and stand together as we worship the Lord through song, singing out a great song as we come boldly before God's throne of grace. We do it humbly before a holy and a righteous God. Bow the knee. What a privilege to come into God's presence, just to linger with the one who set me free. As I lift my eyes and see his awesome glory, I remember who he is and bow the knee. Bow the knee, bow the knee. He is king of all the ages, bow the knee. joining us for worship today at First Baptist Church of Wixom. Here are a few upcoming events to help you stay connected. Mark your calendar now to be in town next weekend for the FBCW 185th Anniversary Weekend on June 10th and 11th. We are planning several events to celebrate God's goodness on our church for nearly 200 years. Join us Saturday morning for a kids fun run and an adult 5K race. You can sign up for these races by visiting the church website or by scanning the QR code on the screen. On Saturday evening, there will be a homecoming cookout with outdoor games at 5 p.m. and a musical concert with the Merrill family at 7 p.m. On Sunday, we will have a morning gathering at 10 a.m. and evangelist Aaron Coffey will be bringing the morning message. Don't miss an incredible weekend of celebration. There will be a brief VBS workers meeting next Sunday after morning worship. All VBS workers are asked to attend this informative meeting in the cafe on Sunday, June 11th. Members of First Baptist Church Welcome Team are asked to stay today for a brief meeting and luncheon in the cafe. If you have questions about the Welcome Team ministry, or if you would like to volunteer to join the Welcome Team, please stay for lunch today as well. We are planning a special member meeting today after the morning worship to discuss and seek approval on the construction contract for the proposed bus facility. Please see the information posted in the link and plan to join us for this important meeting. There will be young adult volleyball in the gym on Tuesday, June 6th at 6.30 p.m. Plan to be a part of this time of fun and fellowship. Community groups continue tonight at 6 p.m. If you are not yet connected with the Sunday p.m. community group, please visit fbcwixom.org forward slash community groups for more information. Community groups meet in homes most Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. In just a few minutes, we will be dismissing children four years through the third grade out the back of the auditorium to our junior church ministry. While there, they will enjoy a great time as they sing songs, play games, and hear a message from God's Word prepared just for them. Giving is one of the many ways we have to worship the Lord. If you would like to give financially, you can utilize the giving box in the back of the auditorium, or you can give online at fbcwixom.org and click on the tab at the top of the page. If this is your first time at FBC, we would love to connect with you. If you'd like more info about FBC, prayer, or to learn how you can get involved, you can fill out a connections card online at fbcwixom.org forward slash connect. 
Also, make sure to stop by the Welcome Center for a special gift on your way out after the service. Once again, thank you for joining us for worship today. Now we invite you to worship the Lord through song as we prepare to hear from God's Word this morning. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you this morning. You saw on the video this morning that uh, Jeremy gave us some details regarding this coming weekend. The 185th anniversary celebration is one of those things that will be done and gone by uh, a little after this time next week, and some of us will miss it. So I just wanted to highlight for you, we've got some really special things planned. Uh, You heard Jeremy talk about how to sign up for the the race or walk, if you prefer, on Saturday morning, and there's a kids' fun run. We want to not only encourage you to participate, but bring guests. It's a great way to introduce them to our church ministry and a fun activity. And then that evening, next Saturday evening, we'll have a very casual cookout, burgers, hot dogs on the grill, some games out in the lawn, weather permitting. It should be a great time together. And then next Saturday night at 7 o'clock, if you've never heard Naya and Alicia Merrill uh, sing, you will really enjoy the concert that they do on Saturday evening. We had them here a few years ago, and they're one of my favorites. We really enjoyed them, and I think you will also enjoy their music next Saturday evening at 7 o'clock here in the auditorium. And then if you've never heard Aaron Coffey preach, it will be a great treat next Sunday morning. That starts at 10 o'clock rather than 1045. We hope that you'll be here for that special service next Sunday morning. I want to thank uh, some of the guys that helped us this uh, last weekend, just briefly, about 100 man hours out in the heat over the last couple of days out here prepping for the patio project. Really appreciate those guys helping out. also wanted to mention that there's a lot of work left to do. So men, if you have any time this week or next and you'd like to volunteer a couple of hours, just let me know. We'll make sure you're all set up with instructions and equipment to do that. And that we appreciate your willingness to help out. Johnny is going to come at this time for a brief presentation. All right. Well, it is a special Sunday this week as well. Uh, obviously, we've got lots of exciting events coming up. But today is a special moment in the life of our church. And that's because we uh, welcome those who are part of our Sunday school ministry or children. And we move them into their next class. So today is the day that we recognize the children that move up into the different age groups. Um, But one thing that I want to do just this morning is I want to mention that our Sunday school ministry would not be possible without those volunteers that spend many, many hours every week preparing to teach and minister to our children. I have a small token of appreciation that I would like to give to each of them this morning, and I will pass that out afterwards for the sake of time. But I want you to join me this morning in just expressing our thanks to Sandy Gibbs, Marsha Roach, Mike Murdy, Scott Haddix, and Rachel Poulos, who have taken on the Sunday School Ministry. Please join me in applause for those this morning. And the work that they do on a weekly basis. Thank you very much for that. We want to recognize this morning our graduates. This is the time of year when Kids are not only getting promoted in Sunday school, but also graduating in their uh, school endeavors. I have a list. I'm not sure it's 100% complete, so I might need you to help me out just a little bit. Our kindergarten graduates, I think we have a few here. Would you guys come on up, kindergarten graduates? I know I saw Jack Gibbs here. There he is. Hi, Jack. Is Emmett here or Andrew, either one of those guys? Any other kindergarten graduates here? All right, Jack, hey, would you just hold on to your gift and stay right up here with us? We're going to bring a whole bunch of others up here with you, and then we want to give you a big round of applause, okay? Congratulations to Jack going on to first grade next year. We have some high school graduates as well. If you're graduating or just graduated from high school, would you come on up? Oh, hi, come on up, yes. There you go. Mr. Jeremy's got a gift for you too. Alyssa, Annie, Jacob, congratulations to you guys. So each of the graduates gets what we hope is an age-appropriate gift for them, Um, and the older young people are getting some of our favorite books that we want them to have. 
and then also uh, a gift card as well. We hope that you guys enjoy those. College graduates, I know we have a few college graduates in the room, so come on up if you graduated from college this last year. Cole and Olivia. Cole is uh, just graduated with interdisciplinary studies from Pensacola Christian College, and Olivia with her nursing degree from Pensacola Christian College. Really glad to have the, both of you home, and congratulations to you. And then we've got three in our church that achieved advanced degrees this year. So if you achieved a, an advanced degree, come on up. And if we missed you, come on up as well. So Johnny got his master's in Bible from Maranatha Baptist University. Holden, his master's of arts in history from Eastern Michigan University, and Kayla, her Master's of Science in Industrial and Organizational Leadership, and uh, from Purdue University Global. And so we're really proud of the three of you for getting that advanced degree. That's just wonderful. And what a, what a, a list of graduates, huh? What a group. Let's give a big round of applause. Tell them congratulations. While they're up here, I want to open our service with a word of prayer, but I want to pray for you guys. So hang out with me for just a minute while we pray today. Father, we're so grateful for your blessings on our church, and we're thankful, so thankful, for young people. Young people have always been a part of what you're doing in the world, the advancement of your kingdom. And we're grateful that in our church we have little children all the way up to these adults that are furthering their education and preparing for ministry and seeking to live their lives for your glory. This is such a great representation of that endeavor in this church, and we're so grateful for them. And so we ask your special blessing and grace on the next step in their lives. Thank you that we as a church can gather around them and cheer them on as they, as they take on their next challenge. We're thankful, Lord, that we can come today and bow the knee and worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're thankful for your word and the message that has been prepared for us today. And we ask that as Johnny brings it, Lord, that you'll fill him with your spirit and you'll teach our church what it is that you would have us to learn today, that we might bring you more glory and advance your kingdom. Thank you for these things, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Let's stand together, continue to worship the Lord this morning. We'll sing out an old hymn, but we have a new uh, chorus added on to that, emphasizing what our theme is today, is God is our great King. Let's sing this out together. Oh. Uh-huh. 
thank you for that song this morning. I, I invite you to turn in God's Word to Psalm chapter 24. We'll be in Psalms chapter 24 this morning. And if you're not used to me saying the word Psalms just yet, hopefully you will by the end of it. And I'm going to confuse you this morning because we're actually going to go to the book of Second Samuel for a little bit as well. So stay with me. Keep your focus. But this year we've been looking at this theme, the albums of worship. And essentially it is a study of theology from the Psalms. Uh, theology, of course, is the study of God. It's who God is, what he does, and what he is like. And we've seen a, a common response in these Psalms to who God is and his character. And that theme is to lift him up. You see on our back walls, we have that theme, lift up the king. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 24, and we're going to look at this particular attribute of God as or king. Now, I wonder if you were paying attention to world news earlier this year. You may have noticed that there was something that happened in Great Britain that has not happened in quite a long time. And that, of course, is the coronation of King Charles III that happened on May the 6th this year. And there's lots of new things that happened whenever a new monarch takes to the throne. So, for example, the royal cipher, the icon that that royal leader has, changes on a number of different things. So, for example, mailboxes in the United Kingdom will all be changed to have the new royal cipher on it. In fact, even particular food brands that are given the thumbs up by the royal family, their logos will change to include that of the new king. Something that I'm not used to just yet is the national anthem changes. No longer is it God save the queen, it's God save the king. Uh, and of course, if you are familiar with money and coins, banknotes within the commonwealth, they often have the head of state on there as well. Now, my mother brought me, she visited a couple of weeks ago, and she brought me a banknote and uh, once it arrives, you can see what it looks like with King Charles on it. But uh, as you can see, my mother was very generous. She gave me a one million pound note. Now, that's a little bit of a trick because, of course, this is actually a gospel tract. But all the money is going to be changed, taken out of circulation. The queen is going to be removed and there's going to be a new face on those coins and of course that's going to happen in all the nations of the commonwealth where charles is head of state now you might think well that's very prestigious that's i wonder what it is like to actually meet someone from the royal family and i can tell you this morning because i actually have met charles whenever he was prince so here we go you can see there's me hiding in the background paying lots of attention to prince charles and Charles, he arrived, I think it was 1997, he arrived into our little village of 600 people and he came to open an organic farm. Now that's something that he was interested in. He's a big organic farmer himself. And there was a lot of hustle and bustle, excitement that came with the king or the future king coming into our village there was noise, there was security, there was police, there was excitement. The media was there to see what was going on. But whenever we seen the king, he was wearing his wally boots with a suit, which you maybe can't see there. He was a little older. He looked kind of like my grandfather, actually. And there was really not that much interesting going on. He just walked past us. And you can see here, if you uh, look at this next circle, that's actually my younger brother. And he is very interested <laughs> in the royalty that has just walked past him. He's busy playing with his friend. And, of course, I am busy watching what he's doing. None of us are paying attention to the king. Now, of course, this morning we're going to discover the king of glory that is mentioned in Psalm 24. And what we're going to see is this king is unlike all the monarchs, all the kings of the world who come and go. This king is eternal. He doesn't change. This king's presence, being in his company, is overwhelming. And this king's glory is incomparable to any other man. 
Let's read Psalm 24 together this morning. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that will seek thy face, O Jacob, Zelah. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning that we can turn to your word, that we can look at your word. And Lord, that you are our King. Lord, we thank you for what that means and how it changes our lives. And Lord, we pray as we look at your word that, Lord, you would convict us, that you would teach us, and Lord, that you would change us to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are thankful that you are our King. And Lord, this morning as we look at your word, may your glory shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen. So like many of the Psalms, this Psalm, Psalm 24, is one that was written by King David. And many of the Psalms that David writes are connected to a moment in his personal life. So here, scholars throughout history have suggested and associated this Psalm with the return of the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. That story is captured in Second Samuel chapter 6. And here's what happens. I'm going to give you a little bit of a synopsis briefly. The ark, which symbolizes the presence of God and has been with the children of Israel from whenever they were in the wilderness, it had within it the Ten Commandments, the tablets with the Ten Commandments written on them. And on top of this Ark of the Covenant was a spot called the Mercy Seat. And you can see it up there this morning. And this is the place that the high priest would take the blood, the sacrificed blood of a perfect animal, and make atonement for the nation. They would sprinkle that blood upon the Mercy Seat in appeasement and atonement for sin. This usually happened once a year, and it was only the high priest who was allowed to go into the area known as the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be. Now, there was a problem back here in Scripture, because the problem was the Ark of the Covenant, this special piece of worship and atonement for Israel, had been captured and stolen and taken away by the Philistines. It had been lost in battle and it spent many, many years not in the Holy of Holies and not where it was meant to be. And what we see in Second Samuel chapter 6 is David begins to celebrate the returning of the ark to its home in the temple, in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. Second Samuel chapter 6 tells us that with the ark of the covenant coming back, God's very presence was once again going to be with his people in the temple. This is something that leads David to worship God. He dances, and actually, if you remember that story, he's criticized by his wife for dancing. But he worships God, and many suggest that he wrote the psalm at that time or reflecting back upon that point in his life. So let's consider the psalm this morning. First of all, I want to take you to verses 1 and 2, the king's dominion. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So David begins this psalm and he, he claims that the earth belongs to God and everybody that lives in the world and everything that there is in the world belongs to him as well. So why does the, this king, God, have ownership 
over the world. Well, verse 2 gives us a pretty clear indication. It says, For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. So quickly we see the earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it belongs to God because he founded it, he made it, he established it, he ordained it. Not only does God ordain the earth itself, but also he ordains many of the kingdoms, or all of the kingdoms, I should say, within the earth itself. There have been many kings that have lived and ruled over various nations throughout history, and all of them have had power and majesty and authority bestowed upon them. But whenever they die, someone else takes their place. You've heard that old phrase, the old king is dead, long live the king. Essentially what that's saying is the last guy died, get the new guy in as quick as possible. But what we note here is that even the greatest of kings amongst men do not compare to Christ who is the ultimate king of kings. Do you remember the book of Daniel? Daniel tells us and gives us an interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And Daniel is seeking to understand that dream. And and once he does grasp that dream, once God gives him the insight to understand, this is what Daniel says in response. He said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and setteth kings up. You see, Nebuchadnezzar represents almost the ultimate king of man. And this is what Daniel said to him. He said, Thou, O king, art the king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and of heaven, he hath given thee into thine hand. And he hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So as part of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he sees this statue, this image, and the gold head represents Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king over the greatest kingdom on earth. And what Daniel says is God has given you this position. He has given you this kingdom to rule from, but it belongs to him. And after your kingdom, there's going to be an inferior kingdom, and so on and so forth. Here's what Daniel's message was to King Nebuchadnezzar. God has given you everything you have, and he has the power to take it away and give it to someone else. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, we know from the book of Daniel, learns this lesson the hard way. Uh, We know that Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind. He was sent out in amongst the beasts of the field. He basically lived like an animal as a result of not seeing that God was in ultimate control. His pride led him to that position. But look at what this king, this great king of history, says in response when he realizes who the ultimate king of kings is. This is what he says, At the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lift up mine eyes to heaven, and mine understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and whose kingdom is from generation to generation. This is what Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of heaven. All whose works are truth, his ways are judgment or right, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Here we have an example of a pagan king, one of the greatest amongst history, but yet a pagan king who realized that his kingdom, his dominion, was ultimately founded and given to him by God. It belongs to God, and that his kingdom would ultimately be superseded by another kingdom less inferior to his. History tells us, and particularly the book of Daniel as well, about these kingdoms that the Babylonians came. They were conquered by the Mede Persians, who were conquered by the Greeks, who were conquered by the Romans, and then we're into our modern day where there are many different smaller kingdoms. 
But here's what Daniel concludes that whole segment with. This is what he says. And in these days, or in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it will stand forever. See, men and their kingdoms do not compare to the king of kings, the lord of the earth, the one who owns it all, and the one who ordains all of its kings. I want you to see, David goes on a little further after establishing the lord as the king of all the earth, and he talks about what it's like to be in the presence of this king. Verses 3 through 6 tells us who is acceptable in the sight of this creator king. Verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? And here we see two references to two geographical locations of the Old Testament. We see the hill of the Lord, which is a reference to Mount Zion, a place that had significance within Jewish culture and Jewish history. And we also see a reference to the holy place, and that specifically references Jerusalem's temple, more specifically the Holy of Holies, that place where the Ark of the Covenant was meant to be and where God's presence dwelt with his people. So here's the question, who can be in the presence of this king? David asked that question, who can stand in his holy place? He gives the answer in verses 4, 5, and 6. This is what he said. He, the one that can stand in that place, is he that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or idols, and not sworn deceitfully. David mentions two things that you must have and two things that you must not be doing to stand worthy in the presence of this creator king. He first of all says that we must have clean hands. Hands, of course, represent our outer man, our actions, our behaviors, our words. And they need to be clean to be in the presence of God. He also says we must have a pure heart. And our heart represents our inner man, our thoughts, our desires. And scriptures tell us these need to be pure to be acceptable in the sight of God. And further, it says two things that we should not do. We should not lift up our souls onto vanity. In other words, we should not lift up anything else, idols, other things that we put in the place of God. Now, of course, our theme this year is lift up God. What David is saying is those who lift up anything but God and elevate them to the place of God are not acceptable in his sight. And then, of course, it goes on and says, those who have not sworn deceitfully. In other words, those that have spoken falsehoods with their lips. Those who have paid homage to another king, another lord who is not God. Now, you might think, um, looking at all this, that we have an almighty problem on our hands. And, of course, we do, because naturally we do not have clean hands. We do things that are wrong. Naturally, we do not have pure hearts. Not all our thoughts or desires or intentions are pure. And often we place things in the place of God and elevate those things over him. So this leaves us with a problem. I want you to see, naturally, we might not have clean hands, but sometimes we pretend that we have clean hands. But God looks upon our hearts. He sees our hearts. There is no tricking of this king of glory, the one who is perfect and holy. Naturally, we're prone to idolatry. One commentary puts it this way, only those who have purity and a singleness of heart are welcome within God's presence. And of course, this is very bad news because all of us fall short of God's glory. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
But thankfully, this is not the end of the matter. David doesn't stop this psalm in verse 4. He goes on and tells us a little bit more about where we can have clean hands, how we can get a pure heart and lift up our souls unto God. Look at verse 5 and what David says. He says, he, talking about the one that does have clean hands and pureness, pure hearts, singleness of heart for God, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him and seek thy face, O Jacob. As David mentions those who seek his face, those who look for God, those who desire to know God are the ones that can discover the salvation, the righteousness, and the blessings that he offers to allow us to have pure hands, a clean heart, and be welcomed into his presence. But to do that, we must kind of embody what Jeremiah says in in Lamentations 3. He says, let us search and try our ways. Let us turn again to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts with our hands unto God in the heavens. We have transgressed and we have rebelled. You see, there must be a realization that we fall short of God's standard, that he, according to verse 3, is in the holy place. He's in his holy, his holy temple. We are not welcome there with our unclean hands and our impure hearts. We must search our ways and realize that that's where we stand. But only those who seek God are going to be the ones that realize their sin in comparison to God's holiness. You see, David did this. David sought God whenever he realized the depths of his sin, how filthy and unrighteous that he was in light of who God is. In Psalm 51, David says this, in in conjunction with the most defining sin of his life, he says, Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And later he goes on in that same, same chapter in verse 10. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, we must realize and acknowledge our sin. We must realize our shortcoming before God. We must realize that he is in the place of holiness, that he is holy, he is pure, and we are not. And here's the amazing thing. Jesus Christ, the creator king, the one who is holy, he is the one by whom we can obtain righteousness. You see, whenever Jesus left the glory of heaven, whenever he left the presence of his father to take on human flesh and to dwell amongst us, this king came to offer us this salvation. That's why it says in verse 5 that Um, the righteousness from the God of his salvation. How did this king offer salvation? Well, do you remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into town on the donkey? And this is what it says of the people. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. They cried out, Hosanna, unto the king. The word Hosanna literally means save us now. Don't wait, save us now, O King of Israel. And what's ironic is these people were looking for him to set himself up as an earthly king to overthrow the Romans. But actually what Christ did on the cross less than a week later, he did save them now. He offered them the way and the means of salvation when he sacrificed himself upon the cross to make atonement for our sins. Do you remember that instance, the plaque above him on the cross? It read, the king of the Jews. This is the great exchange that Jesus took our punishment. He took our place on the cross. He became the sacrifice for us, even though he was the king of the Jews, even though he was the king of Israel, even though he was the king of all the earth. He came and he willingly submitted himself to die upon the cross. Why? so that we might obtain the righteousness and salvation from him, so that we might be able to enter into his presence, that we might be able to have relationship with him with clean hands, a pure heart, and a singleness of heart towards God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, 
Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. Only those that have trusted in Christ, only those that admit and realize their shortcoming in light of God's presence, that acknowledge their need for a pure heart, only those who accept Christ's righteousness, what he has done for us on the cross, will be able to dwell within the presence of this king, and more importantly, be able to see him and see his glory. Our last point this morning, taken from verses 7 through 10, is the king's glory. David writes, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. This portion of the text can seem a little tricky because of the imagery that's there, but essentially when we consider the context of Jerusalem, the hill of the Lord, the holy place, and the returning of the Ark of the Covenant, or God's presence amongst his people, this is what David's saying in response. He's saying, open up the gates, lift the doors up, welcome him in, worship him, lift him up. Why does he do that? Well, because not only does this king give us the righteousness and the salvation necessary to be acceptable in his presence, but this king wants to be present with his people. Scripture is loaded of examples where we can see how God dwells amongst his people and wants to have a relationship with them. If we go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, we can see that God walked with them in the cool of the day. They had relationship together. In the Old Testament, uh, through the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, the children of Israel, we see the relationship between that people and God. Perhaps most evidently, at first, uh, the first coming of Christ, Christ takes on flesh. Why? To dwell amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to dwell amongst his people and with his people. In the church era that we live in today, those of us that have put our trust in Christ, accepted him as our Savior, the scriptures tell us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. God resides with us as we walk through life. In the future, we're called biblically to look ahead to the return of Christ when he comes back, when we are physically with him. Uh, the rapture speaks about this. First Thessalonians 4.17 says, Then we which are alive and remain and caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and note this, so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day at the time of the second coming, Christ is going to come again. He's going to return physically to this earth and set his feet upon this world. He's going to fulfill the covenant that was made to David. He's going to establish his kingdom on this earth. And the king, Jesus, he is going to rule from David's throne. But not only that, he's going to protect, he's going to defend his people. He's going to be with his people. Verse 8 tells us the Lord is the one who is strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. When Christ returns, he's going to overcome the enemies that we face, sin, death, evil, Satan, all those who oppose God. But notice what the book of Revelation says about who is with this king. Revelation 17, verse 14, it says, These, speaking about the rulers or kings that will side with Satan in the time of the tribulation, it said, These will make war with the Lamb. And note this, the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Again, we see the king chooses to dwell with his people. And this is all part of the immense glory of this king of glory. So in closing, I want to ask you, I want to draw us to an application. How do we respond to this king of glory this morning? Well, first of all, perhaps you realized that you're not worthy to be in the presence of this king. And if you feel like that, then you're in good company because we all feel unworthy to be in the presence of the king of glory. 
But note this, he's the creator of all things. He's the owner of all things. He established the world and all of its kingdoms. He is perfect. He is holy. He is without fault. He is without mistake. But here's the question. Have you trusted in this king's work of salvation? Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at um, the aspect of God? God is holy. And we considered Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 6. Look at what was happening there. Verse 1 of that chapter tells us the earthly king, King Uzziah, had died. This is what it says. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. That's how Isaiah starts this prophecy. After 52 years of reigning, the king on earth was dead and a new king would take his place. But in that moment, Isaiah was given a vision of the heavenly throne room of God. He was given a vision of the eternal king, the one who doesn't die, the one whose kingdom will last forever. And this is what Isaiah says in response. He says, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Essentially what he says is, I am absolutely unworthy to be in this king's presence. Look what he says next. Why? For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. You see, Isaiah has the same problem that we have. When we realize uh, who the king is, how glorious he is, then we realize how far short that we fall of his glory. But thankfully, that's not where Isaiah ends. Thankfully, that's not where Psalm 24 ends. Thankfully, that is not where the gospel ends, that we are just crushed in the presence of one much greater than ourselves. But provision is made in this example of Isaiah. Provision is made for his sin. A hot coal is taken from the altar. It's touched onto his lips. And this is what the cherubim says that places it on his lips. He says, thine iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. Perhaps this morning you need to accept that gift of salvation that the king offers. Have you trusted in the king's provision to be made worthy, to come into his presence, to have clean hands, to have a pure heart that enables you to be in, accepted in his presence? Perhaps if you have done that, you have accepted that salvation, you've been granted clean hands, a pure heart, um, you've been granted access into the throne room of God to worship him, to dwell with him and have unity with him perhaps the right response for us is like our theme says to lift him up david says lift up the gates lift up the doors let the praise go forth out we must respond similarly if this king has made us acceptable in his presence we must lift him up and worship him because he is our righteousness he is the source of our salvation we are blessed because of him and he is the king of glory. But I want you to note one just one last point as we close this morning. More than that, our response should be worship, but also our response should be a desire to serve this king. Isaiah in chapter um, 6, verse number 8, after the Lord um, deals with his iniquity, this is what Isaiah says, the Lord inquires who is going to go and tell other people about this king's glory. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. We should delight to serve our king. Look at God's instructions to Isaiah, and that should guide us in how we go about doing this, how we go about serving the king. He says, go and tell, verse 9. It says, tell about who you have seen. Tell about how your sin has been purged. Tell every man about this king of glory. So I ask you a question. Have you accepted the work that this king has done for you? Have you accepted the salvation that Christ offers? And secondly, have you engaged in the service of this king? Service is a natural response, but it's also a privilege that we have. If Jesus Christ is your king, then this morning let's rejoice that we get to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, for all of eternity. Let's pray this morning. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the truths of your word. Lord, we thank you most of all that you are the King of glory. Lord, we're thankful for the difference that that makes in our lives. And Lord, we pray that there are any here this morning who do not know you and have not trusted you for clean hands and a pure heart. 
Lord, that you would grant salvation onto them this morning. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be humble, that you would help us to come before you and see you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we're thankful for your goodness to us this morning. And we pray that you continue with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with a special song in just a second. Before we do that, I want to sing a psalm or uh, read a psalm of praise to you from Psalm 100. Psalm 100 reads, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good. Amen. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Great. 
Thank you for watching this video of one of our recent services. It's a pleasure for us to have you join us from a distance and join our church in a time of worship around the Word of God. The most important message that we can tell you is that God loves you. And he loves you so much that He gave Jesus Christ as payment for your sins. And the Bible says that all that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. We want you to know that message that true life is found in Jesus Christ. An eternal life, the opportunity to live with God forever in heaven in spite of our sinfulness. True life is only found in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Would you be willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Would you be willing to pray something like this? Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I know there's nothing I can do about my sinfulness. I don't want to pay for my own sin and I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want his death on the cross to pay for my sins. I want to repent from doing things my own way and make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be willing to pray something like that and put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, we want to help you as you start your spiritual journey with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Our church loves you. We're glad that you could watch this message today. God bless.